The following message is entitled, True Teachers, Confronting Quitting, Confronting Error, Part 6. This message was given during the morning service on March 12, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Due to technical difficulty, the first three minutes of the message were cut off. Most of Christianity by American Christians is judged by the culture, okay? If the culture has large shopping malls, we'll have large shopping mall churches with restaurants even in the churches. And if the culture likes a big movie experience, then we'll have a church that has a big experience up on stage. If the culture is into live streaming and internet, then we'll turn the church into that as well. And many church heretics and false conveyors of error say that this is how you reach the culture, is you change the church to be like the culture, and therefore being in a building is totally irrelevant. I don't know if you know this, but there are churches that have sprung up by the thousands in the United States that have no building. They're just completely internet churches. That's it. I mean, if you wanted to go to them, you couldn't. In fact, there are in the South, especially in Texas, as I have reading, drive-through churches. You pull up like the old outdoor theaters, and an usher will plant a little speaker on the edge of your vehicle, and you sit in the parking lot, and when you're done, you drive up, go under the overhang of the building and you drop your offering into the slot like a bank drive through and on the way you go. That's America, but that's not the Bible. And here we have three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, that God wrote in the New Testament, not how we're to roll over in bed and watch it on TV, but why and how we gather together and why this is important. So the issue is, can you, as a born-again Christian, be a growing Christian, never being in a local church? Absolutely not. Look at 1 John chapter 2 in this introduction. 1 John chapter 2. In fact, anyone who claims to be a born-again Christian and does not connect to a local church isn't even a believer. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. To roll up to the verse I want, we'll start with verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, so much for the world telling us what we're to be like. Do you see that? The world represents the world system. So there's evangelicalism that teaches us whatever the culture and the world system is doing, we need to adapt to that. Do you notice it's the opposite direction here? You're not to be like the world but evangelicalism says, whatever the world is like, you're to be like them. The Bible is countercultural. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, and here it is, here's the world system, what it's known by, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh is your sin nature. You as a human being have in your mind a capacity to sin. Sin is violating commands of the Bible to do right. That's what sin is. It's the violation of commands in the Bible to do right. When it says lust of the flesh, the flesh there in verse 16 is in your mind. It is a nature 
In your mind, it is a capacity to lust. Lust is the foundation of sin, the Bible says. Lust is evil desire. And our society is filled with lust. And it's so bad that now lust is considered righteous. Notice lust is triggered by the eyes. And then also triggered by pride. Boastful pride of life. Again, our culture says, be proud. Humility is bad. Love yourself. Exalt yourself. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Notice the Bible is countercultural. Pride is a sin. We don't adapt to the culture. Churches like ours don't do that. We don't let the culture of America tell us how we're to operate or what our belief system is. And one of the reasons is verse 17. This world system is passing away and also it's lust. It's all going to be gone. But here's the key. The one who does the will of God lives forever. And where do you do the will of God? You do it in your heart, but you also have to do God's will in a local church, as we're going to see. You cannot be in the will of God sitting at home watching church permanently, not because one's ill or doesn't feel good. You cannot be home sitting at home permanently watching some service on the internet and expect to be doing the will of God. God built the church to be together. As we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, that the Apostle Paul said that the church people are like hands and feet, and we have to operate together. And if one of them is busted, the rest of the hand hurts. We, we function together. One of the first signs then of a person backsliding or not being a believer is when they divorce themselves from being in a local church. Notice verse 18. Children, it is the last hour of the church age, that is. And just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, these are false teachers, have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Last hour is a prophetical marker. In fact, the whole church age, from Acts chapter 2 to the rapture, that's the church age. From Acts chapter 2, when Christ ascended up into heaven and the Spirit was sent down, that began the church age, and it ends when all believers are raptured on, on, off the planet. That's why it says this is the last hour. But then Paul comes along, and says in First and Second Timothy, gives it a future marker. He says that the last days, the last hour, also has some characteristics right at the end before the rapture. And so antichrists are false teachers. You're always going to have them in the church. The church is made up of born-again believers. If you're not born again, you can be in a physical church locally, but you're not part of the church. Church means called out ones. Called out from the world system, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the church is the worldwide group of those that are called born-again Christians, and then we gather in local churches together to worship, serve, grow, edify, confront. That's what the church is. So in the last hours of the church age, in verse 18, there's going to be a proliferation, a massive increase of antichrists, false Christ teachers. Now notice verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have remained with us. That sounds cryptic. What does that mean? Us refers to believers. To go out from believers means to isolate and divorce out from Christianity, from the body of Christ, from a local church manifestation. It is forcing oneself out, choosing to be out from us. Believers. So one of the marks of the last days is going to be those who claim to be Christians 
who divorce themselves from being connected to a local church. This is a mark of apostasy. We've always found in our church that whenever an individual backslides or rebels, if they don't repent, they always quit the church locally. Notice that if they were really of us, they would have remained with us. You've got this massive group of people who claim to be Bible-believing Christians in America. And all they do is roll over, turn their smartphone on, watch a service, roll over, go back to sleep. No connection to us, the body of Christ. That's a false convert. Christianity was made to be together. And anyone who goes out and, or doesn't ever connect to a local church, to the manifestation of the body... That person is not a true believer. The last part of verse 19, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. So the massive quitting of coming to church, which is seen as totally irrelevant. What is the point of just sitting here when I can just watch it on the internet? Is massive ignorance and false conversion. Look at Revelation chapter 1 to remind you from last time. The book of prophecy, the major book of prophecy, the last book of the Bible, written by the Apostle John, who just wrote what we read in 1 John. John the Apostle here in verse 4 of Revelation 1, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Notice he's writing to local churches. Always the New Testament books are written to local churches where you're supposed to gather. I read one guy who was a wise guy on the internet. He said, well, yeah, the New Testament talks about gathering in local churches because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have live streaming. If they had live streaming back in the New Testament, they never would have gathered together as churches. Well, I'm so glad you informed me of that. What wisdom. That's total nonsense. Like, oh, you know, we're only gathering in seven churches here in Asia in verse 4 because we don't have internet yet. No, this is how Christianity operates. We have to gather together. You can't operate as a lone gun. This thing operates with the Spirit working through churches. Verse 4, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Now, who is this person that John is talking about? Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is Christ. And what does he do? He walks among the churches. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the, lamp, of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool like snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So, I saw one like a sun, verse 13. And where is he? Where is he in verse 13? In the middle of the lampstands. Do you see that? Jesus Christ is the Son, and he's in the middle of the lampstands. What are the lampstands? Look at the end of verse 20. And the seven lampstands are what? The seven churches. 
Jesus Christ, resurrected and in heaven, is present in a unique way in local churches. And we don't get that experience and we don't have his empowerment and enablement if we're not here. That's why this is an extreme issue. Massively ignorant people who claim to believe in God and claim to be Christians and who see no relevance to a local church whatsoever. It makes no sense. All we do is come sit, listen, and leave. What's the point of that? That is not what we're called to do. We're not called to just come sit, listen, and leave. We're supposed to operate as Christians with each other, ministering, serving, worshiping, praying together, confronting each other, as we'll see also in the sermon today or next time. This is all necessary for us to be together. Go back to Acts chapter 2, when the church began, Acts chapter 2. So unfortunately, what you see in America is technology has hijacked the church because this is what people want. They want to be left alone. They don't want to be confronted. They don't want to have to come to a church. They don't want to have to see about stuff that they have to do in a church. They want to just have it all private. Well, in Acts chapter 2, the word of God was preached in verse 37. Deep conviction occurs. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Deep conviction in the mind. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And the first word out of Peter's mouth. We've seen the first word out of John's mouth is repent. The first word out of Christ's mouth is repent. The first word out of Peter's mouth here in verse 38. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. That's what they had to do. Verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Scolias, perverse, twisted, crooked. The world system is always messed up. The culture is always messed up. He's preaching personally to them. Verse 41, so then those who had received his word, verse 41, can't be saved without the word of God. They were then baptized, and there was added that day 3,000 souls, believers, to the body of Christ. They were added. Notice they were added. They're not individuals that nobody knows about watching on TV. They're added to the group. Christianity is a group activity. You have to be connected to other believers. Verse 42. Then individually in their own little huts they watched a sermon. Is that what verse 42 says? No. They gathered and were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You can't do those four at home. You can't devote yourself even to the apostles' teaching at home through the internet because it requires obedience and submission, which eventually has to come into play when I serve and evangelize. Fellowship is gathering together as believers, in verse 42, to personally help each other to grow. Breaking of bread is communion, only to be done in church when we gather. Corporate prayer, only to be done together. Notice verse 44, all those who had believed were together. The church is made up only of those who believed. Now, in this room, it's possible that somebody's not saved, and you're not part of the church. Though you're sitting in a church, you're not part of the church. Verse 44 says, all those who had believed were together. The church is made up of individuals who are born-again Christians who then gather in a local church to grow. This is a mandate. Get saved, go to church. Go to church to worship, to serve, to fellowship to have communion, to gather together to pray, to be taught the word of God. You have to gather to do this. And in verse 42, they're continually devoting themselves to this. It is a group endeavor. This is how it's supposed to be. 
This is a perversion of what's happened in modern Christianity. Isolate. Get technology. Stay in your home. Don't need this. And it is a fundamentally false comparison to compare church to going to some group activity in society. This is a unique organization, the only one that Christ is the head of. Now we come to 1 Timothy, one of the major instruction manuals on how a local church is to operate is 1 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy is a pastor, he's a protege of Paul, and Paul is instructing him and instructing us, here's how it works when you gather together. This is what you're supposed to do. This has to be done. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he slams in, in verse 3, to starting to instruct Timothy and us what's supposed to go on. As I urged or begged you upon my departure from Macedonia, he's urging and begging Timothy, remain on at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, or to pay attention to myths or endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than the furthering of the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul starts right off telling Timothy to stay at this local church. Remain in verse 3. Remain. Don't quit. He's tempted to quit. This has been the history of Christianity for 2,000 years. Those that are leaders are tempted to quit. Those that are in the pews or in the congregation are tempted to quit. And so what Timothy is being instructed on is a theology and a mandate to stay put in a local church. So in your note sheet then, let's go to the sermon saver. Let's be reminded of some things. We've seen point number one, verses one and two. It was founded by Christ and the apostles, and now we're in Roman numeral two. True teaching confronts false doctrine in the church. Doctrine is teachings, foundational teachings. It confronts false teachings in the church and promotes true doctrine. But you can't have good teaching if nobody is here. Fundamental, right? So we have to gather. So, first thing he's doing is telling Timothy, and by application us, we need to stay put in a local church. Letter A. Three vital keys to not quitting the promotion of true doctrine. First one that we've seen is he's urging. In your note sheet it says right there, point number one. Key number one. He's strongly exhorting Timothy to stay. It means he's begging him. We saw that. Begging Timothy to stay. That's what I do. I beg Christians to stay in a local church that's Bible-believing. Why? So they can listen to me? No. Because it's the mandate of the Bible. We can't grow if we're not connected. This is a living organism where all believers need to be together. And the beginning, first base, going around the diamond in baseball, first base is just attendance. And it has to progress in maturity towards prayer and fellowship, progressing further into teaching, admonishing. And then some even make it into leadership. This is all to take place live, not through live stream. Together. 
So he's begging in verse 3. He's begging us. And what is he begging him to do? Number two in your note sheet under letter A. To remain. Prosmeno. To abide. To remain. They're supposed to stick around. He's telling Timothy, don't quit. And that's what we're supposed to do as well. We're supposed to stay. Can't you ever leave a local church? Sure, there are reasons for leaving a local church, and that's where we're at in the series right now. It's not in the text. He's telling him to remain. So obviously, the Ephesian church was a good one. It had its major problems, but it's still a good one. So is there ever a time to not remain? Is there ever a time when it would be all right if Timothy left? Would there ever be a time when it's okay? Yes, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. The assumption in these three epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, is true Christians gather together in a Bible-believing local church. But when is it time to call it quits? The Bible has a back door out of a local church. There are five reasons why a Christian can't stick around in a local church. A local church could be very corrupt. It could have gone bad, and you're not to stay in that local church no matter what. So in your notes, then, let's look at it. Letter B, when is it biblical to not remain in a church, either as a pastor or as a Christian? We already know where to find a Bible-believing church, but there's a lot of rotten ones out there. And when we start to analyze those churches, we can say, whoa, am I supposed to just stay in a rotten church? Nowhere to separate. Get out of them. Five reasons. Number one, when it is biblical to not remain. Since he tells Timothy to remain, the Ephesian church is a good one. But outside this text, when would it be a good time to cut and run? Find another one. Number one, a church with false doctrine and teaches heresy. False doctrine and teaches heresy. It's the number one reason to quit a church. What is heresy? Heresy, by definition, and it's found in 2 Peter, if you want to turn over there real quick. Heresy is defined in verse 1 of 2 Peter 2. It's defined a heresy. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. False prophets also rose among the people. That's Old Testament. Just as there will be false teachers among you. That's New Testament. That's churches. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. False prophets refers to the Old Testament prophets. So there were false prophets in the Old Testament. And now he's talking, Peter is to the church. In verse 1, just as there will also be, always will happen, false teachers among you, among you believers who gather. And what do they do? They secretly introduce heresies, destructive heresies. There it is. There's the word. What is a heresy? When a church teaches heresy, it's time to go. What is a heresy? The word literally means opinion. Write it down. What's an opinion? It's something not found in the Bible. It is a self-willed teaching. It is a self-willed teaching claiming to be truth when it isn't. That's what a heresy is. I believe you need to do this. That's heresy. It's an opinion that can't be justified from the word of God. What I'm supposed to do up here and what I am seeking to do is to teach you what the Bible says. Now, fundamental to heresy is denying the despotes. Denying is to contradict or disown despotes. Master is despotes in the Greek in verse 1. 
Heresies fundamentally deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Master is dictator. Jesus is, is the dictator over us. We're to obey Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Through his word. We'll see tonight that you don't see Jesus. You never will and you're not hearing him. You don't wait for Jesus to talk to you. He's already spoken. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, one chapter to the left. Look at verse 3. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything means what? Everything. Totality. Where? Through visions? Through God talking to you? No. Through the true knowledge of him. Where is that? The Bible. True knowledge is the word of God. It is inerrant. That's why they're called precious and magnificent promises in verse 4. This is another thing that the church today has abandoned. Yeah, I know the Bible is there for us, but I have Jesus talking to me. I feel him in his voice. No, you do not. Why would God write a sufficient everything book in verse 3 only to make us feel like it's not enough? Now he's got to talk to us personally. Denying the master then, back to 2 Peter 2 verse 1, is to deny his word of God. To deny the master... These are individuals that are bringing swift destruction upon themselves. They are not backslidden teachers. They are hell-bound. Hell-bound. 1 John chapter 1. And what happens if you hang around heresy? You're hell-bound. Why? Look at 1 John 1. John is talking in 1 John to those who are fakes, and those who are for real. Somebody said to me years ago, I went to church and it was full of hypocrites. I said, yeah. No, no, it had fakes. I said, yeah. Well, it's not supposed to have fakes. Oh, really? Because the Bible says you're always going to have false teachers and fakes among the churches. They plant themselves within. Christ said it in Matthew 13. All the apostles said it. You're always going to be in church and you're going to see hypocrites and fakes. Well, I'm not going there if there's hypocrites and fakes. Well, then you might as well never go to a church because you're never going to find one where Satan isn't trying to infiltrate. How do you stop Satan at the front door of this church? Is there some like magnetic zapper that'll stop Satan from walking in here? He's a spiritual being. We can't see him and so are demons. And they infiltrate through the masqueration of masquerading as light. They come in pretending to be Christians. It's, it's always made me scratch my head. Individuals, I quit the church because they had fakes and, and hypocrites in. That is the church. And that's what 1 John is about. The whole epistle is about how you're going to have people in verse 5 who say they belong to the light, and they don't. Look at verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, see, fakes always say they fellowship with Jesus, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Christ said it this way. What fellowship does light have with darkness? None. If you love heresy, what are you? You're a heretic. If you fellowship with false teaching, what are you? You're an unsaved heretic. They walk in darkness. 
They lie in verse 6 and do not practice the truth. See, true believers walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Notice that's a mandate. Do you see that in verse 7? No, I'm sorry. You can't just stay at home and watch it on Zoom. You see what that says in verse 7? We have fellowship with one another. You have to hang around fellow believers to grow. I don't understand, John. Why is it we have to go to church? Why can't we just watch it on TV? Because the apostles, who were inspired by God, who wrote the book on Christianity, gave us these rules. If you don't like the rules, take it up with the apostles. If you don't like what they say, take it up with the writer who told the apostles, which is Jesus Christ. He says we're to, in verse 7, have fellowship with one another. And when you do that, in verse 7, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. You can't have growth isolating from the body of Christ. Go back to 1 Timothy. So heresy, when you run into a church that is teaching heresy, you need to get out. If you don't, you're an unbeliever. Because true believers won't stay in heresy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you might say, well, okay, well, but what's heresy? I mean, what are the false doctrines? I see one of them in 2 Peter that says that uh, heresy is when you deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. I saw that one, John. So what, can you give us like basic broad categories? Yeah, 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about separating from churches that are bad. And what are they bad? If they violate two areas, verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, that's teaching, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. There's your two categories. Advocates a different doctrine. That's one word in the Greek. That's heterodidaskalion. It's a long word that basically advocates a different doctrine. Is heresy. It is a different teaching. It is a false teaching. Verse 3. And it disagrees with two things. The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to give life and to give life abundantly. And then secondly, and secondly with the doctrine conforming to godliness. That's sanctification. But if you don't know the Bible, how would you ever know that a church is teaching heresy? You think some guy's going to get up in a church and say, ding, 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 I teach heresy, I teach false teaching, you need to get out of here. They portray it as an opinion. They masquerade as if it's truth. You can't know ultimately whether I'm a heretic unless you know the Bible in depth. You're to know what the gospel is in verse 3, and you're going to need to know also teachings that conform you to godliness. What is essential to make you grow in the Bible? You have to pour yourself in the book, asking God for wisdom, so you can walk in a church and not get run over by a wolf. So under number one, a bad church teaches false doctrine, teaches heresy. It attacks the doctrines of salvation and sanctification. Masquerading as if it's true. I don't care what the ministry is. I don't care what the mission organization is. I don't care what the church is. I don't care what, the, like I said, the mission organization is, what the school is. If they attack the gospel of salvation and sanctification, you're to separate. You're to separate. 
There are other doctrines that are heresy, but sanctification, according to 1 John 3, includes eschatology. Did you know that? 1 John 3 says eschatology is the study of the last days, prophecy, rapture, tribulation. And 1 John 3 says you can't be pure, morally pure, if you don't believe in the rapture. Wow. So much for Reformed theology. Can you grow spiritually under the heresy of Reformed theology? No way. And if somebody stays in Reformed theology, what are they? Heretic. Well, that's extreme. I know some wonderful writers and authors who are, teach the gospel, and they, but they don't teach sanctification. Because according to 1 John 3, 1 to 3, the anytime return of the Lord is necessary for you to be purified. That's a foundational truth. Foundational. Do you need to be pure? Can you live the Christian life without being morally pure? No. 1 John 3 says you have to believe that the Lord can return at any moment. That purifies you. So if you don't believe in that doctrine, why would you be purified? Right? Oh, this is hard. I guess I can't just read five minutes of the Bible every day. That's right. And that's why we come to church to sit under the Word of God taught properly which is becoming more and more rare. There's no fellowship with darkness. You need to separate from heresy. This is a massive, massive problem in the church today. That's number one. That's number one. Number two. When's the time to say goodbye? When is the time to not remain? Number two, a church that never confronts sin. A church that never confronts sin. From the pulpit or personally, sin needs to be confronted. Any church that doesn't confront sin is a church you want to walk out of. And they confront sin first through the gospel. If they're not preaching against sin and the need to repent, don't ever return. I encourage someone, if they're going to move to some area and try to find a new church, you go up to the pastor the first Sunday and you say, do you believe you need to repent to be saved? They're either going to say yes or no. If they say no, then you never darken the door of that church again. And then you ask the pastor, what's the key to godliness and purity? Repentance of sin as well. Because Colossians 2 said, as you received Christ, that's how you walk. You receive them by repenting. You walk by repenting. If you're not repenting, you can't be sanctified. Repenting means asking God for forgiveness for the horrible, lustful sins in your mind that work out your life, your words, and your actions. And you repent of every one of those when you have those thoughts, say those wrong words, or do those wrong things. And you do it in the power of the Spirit, Repentance is turning away from that evil by asking God for forgiveness. And every time you sin, you need to do that. You can't be godly if you don't. You repent once of your life of sin that was sending you to hell as a convert getting saved. Then once you are saved, you don't need a whole bath. You cleanse your feet, so to speak, as Christ said, by repenting of the individual sins to restore fellowship. Sin has to be confronted. It's not confronted in a church. That's a church to leave. Look at Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is how you find a good church. This is how you leave one that's bad. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Colossians 3.16. Tabernacles within you. This is the personal aspect of your Christianity. You let the word of Christ, that's the Bible, richly dwell within you. You take it and you don't just read it. It has to dwell and live within you. You read it, you study it, you understand it, and you apply it. You seek to live it out in verse 16, Colossians 3.16. And how does it work out? 
with all wisdom, teaching. So how, how do you teach somebody else if you're lying in bed watching Zoom permanently? How do you do that? How do you teach somebody else? You can't. So we've got to gather together to teach. And notice, admonishing one another, that means we have to be here. There it is, confronting sin, admonishing one another continuously. That is the confrontation of sin. We impart truth to help us to grow, and we confront sin, and we're to do it to each other, not just this guy in the pulpit. Notice it says, one another. See? One another. Another reason why you have to be in a church. What if you went to a movie theater to watch a movie, and every time you went there, somebody sitting around you started to confront you? They turn around and they say, Euler, you're ugly. And uh, you smell, and I don't like the way your hair is. And you think, well, this is a wackadoo. I'll go to another theater. So you go into another theater, and they turn around and say, ooh, who are you? How'd you get so short? And your clothes, they don't fit right. And you've got freckles or something on your face. So they start just criticizing you all the time. You'd say this, I didn't come to a movie theater to be criticized. That's right. You don't go to a movie theater to get criticized. And a church is not an experience like a movie theater. According to verse 16, you're to come here to get criticized. Get your sin confronted. Doesn't that make it fundamentally different than going to the ball game? Mm -hmm. Why should we have our sin confronted? Because we can't see everything. We're prone to blindness, all of us, myself included. We, we dumb down our sin. We get cold and get bored with repenting. We start to not see it anymore. In our minds, we justify it. Then we come to church. We sit under a sermon. We have other people confront us. And whoa, now we're seeing that others are seeing things that we didn't see in our lives. You can't have that when you're rolling over in bed and hitting the zoom on button. You need teaching and admonishing. And sometimes we get to be really bad sinners. Go to Matthew 18. We get to be really bad sinners, and bad sinner is one who's not repenting. What happens is Matthew 18. We need to have corporate confrontation in the church. That happens too. Because a good church confronts sin. Verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. How would you know he's sinning? See, this is why sin is going like wildfire in the church today. Because everyone is individualizing the Christian experience, just sitting at home on the internet, zooming in a worship service. Who's going to confront that person about their sin? Nobody. Nobody even knows they exist. And that's why bigger churches get bigger and smaller churches get smaller. Do you know why? Because wicked people can get a lot quicker lost in a big church than one this size. Because if you hang around here long enough, we're coming after you, potentially. Start to see things. But you walk into a church of 10,000, you can look around and stick your hands in your pocket and say, this is great. No one's going to confront my evil. They don't even know who I am. I'll sit in a different section every day of the year, and I'll never run out of sections. But look at verse 15. How would you know your brother's sinning if he's watching live stream on his kitchen counter? The only way you know a brother is sinning is you're hanging around each other. And that's why churches like ours only attract people that are serious about getting sin dealt with in their lives. And when you don't want sin dealt with in your life, you shouldn't be coming to a church like this. 
I'm telling you straight up. If you don't want your sin confronted with solutions on how to repent and deal with it because your sin is destroying you and me, then don't come to a church like this. Because we're supposed to do this in verse 15. Brother sins, you go to him and confront him. How do, why would you confront him? Because you saw his sin. And the issue here is what sin? It doesn't matter what the sin is. Any sin, you confront it if you see it. And he listens to you, you've won your brother. It ends there. But if he does not listen, see the willfulness and rebellion is refusing to listen to confrontation. Take one or two more witnesses. And it just, it just rolls worse. Notice it gets down to this person's in such rebellion, it gets announced to the church. Oh, forget that. I'm not going to any church that announces my sin publicly. Sure, don't. Don't. Stay away from any church that confronts sin all the way to the last step there in verse 17. But it seems to me that Jesus wrote this. I didn't write it. And he's telling us that's what we're supposed to do. Right? By the way, there is the church mentioned. Rare opportunity to see the church mentioned before Acts chapter 2 in verse 17. Confronting of sin. Number three, we'll stop with this one. We know this from Titus chapter 1, number three. Don't stick around in a church, number one, if it teaches heresy. Number two, if it refuses to confront sin. And number three, has unbiblical eldership, including women in leadership over men. Paul condemned that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You do not have women in eldership as pastors. That is heresy. Oh my goodness, does that go against the culture? You know, I look at American culture and I just see it completely caving in on all fronts. We have riots in the street, violence everywhere, politicians lying like crazy, people who make promises, everyone you work with is a liar, people are lazy, good for nothings, they steal. You know the number one cause of thievery in homes in America is from neighbors? Did you know that? The ones who act nice to you, who know what you do every day, will break in your home. This is a ripped up, messed culture. But then we come along to the Bible and it says women can't be in leadership. And what do we say? Oh, that's not what the U.S. teaches. I subscribe to the teachings of the United States that women need to be leaders. But the entire United States is totally messed up. So why would you trust their philosophical underpinnings? The society is a total wreck. But we're going to listen to what they tell us to do? You know why women can't be in leadership? It goes all the way, Paul told Timothy, it goes all the way back to the garden. God did this. He made the man to be the head of the woman. Then in 1 Corinthians, he says, Christ is the head of the man. The man is the head of the woman. So Paul comes along and 1 Timothy 2 says, don't care what your culture says. Don't care what a messed up society says. Why would you believe a messed up society on anything anyways? Why would you do that? Why do you believe the philosophies out there? Homosexuality is okay. LGBTQ is okay. Rioting is okay. Every white man over the age of 50 is a racist. He was born that way when he was goo-goo-ga-ga in the womb. This is what our society teaches. Why would we believe all that junk? Look at the fruit of that junk. Riots, chaos, and civil war is breaking out. But I'm going to follow what they say. Yeah, that's good. 
If I lived in your home and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all I did was spit at you and curse you, would you accept my advice on anything? And then the precious holy word of God comes along, which never sins and has errors, and says, your society's messed up, don't listen to it. Listen to the word of God. God made man to be the head of the woman. The church has women in leadership. They are royally heresized. They're into heresy. They're a hellish organization. Unbiblical eldership means you have individuals who are not qualified. They should not be elders. Or has women in eldership. As we'll see in chapter 3, elders are sinners when we get there. Can't stop sinning as an elder. What we have to make sure is that elders aren't reproached, shipwrecked. There's a fundamental difference. So there's three reasons to not remain in a church. Next Sunday, we'll look at the last two and find out some radical things like you shouldn't have people serving if they reject the Bible and don't believe in Jesus. Wow, that's a radical truth for today, isn't it? There's churches that are packed with unbelievers serving. Why would they do that? You think that atheistic organizations in the United States, atheists to someone who doesn't believe in God, do you think that their only goal is to hire Christians who believe in God? Or would atheist organizations only hire atheists? So why is the church front-loading, especially in their bands and in their contemporary music scenarios, why are they front-loading into service and worship unbelievers who can play an instrument and blaspheme the very name of Jesus? And then lastly, we'll see the issue of fellowshipping with other organizations that are heretical. We need to not just be in a church that's heretical, but out of a church if it fellowships with heretical organizations, and we'll see that next time. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to resist the culture, which is chaos, and obey the scriptures alone. In Jesus' name, amen.